If y'all could, please open up with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. It will be easier for you to follow me, uh, especially today, if you were to open up to Ephesians chapter 1, which I believe you'll find near or around uh, the Pew Bible, page 976. If not, um, tell me and we can try to get that number for you. But uh, you can find it in the table of contents as well. And while you're opening up there, um, we are in a new sermon series uh, the sermon series is Ephesians, Encouragement, and You. And if you recall, I have told you that I believe that this letter to the Ephesians, or at least the Ephesians, perhaps even more Christian churches around Ephesus, that, that Paul was writing it uh, with this express intent to reveal a mode of encouragement for God's people at that time, and that by the Holy Spirit, he has now sealed and cemented this letter for us to be encouraged even today. And the definition that we're using for encouragement, by the way, is positive forward movement. It's a definition of encouragement, positively moving forward. But it does kind of need to be answered, then where are we going? <laughs> for kind of positively moving forward and if God is giving us a push or a shove or a drag if we need to or a come on or an attaboy, whatever it is, God is moving us forward by his Holy Spirit through the Lord Jesus' work as he has foreordained it uh, as we saw in previous uh, 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 sermons uh, in the first part of Ephesians. Where are we going and how? Uh, it is a silly joke. Rebecca and I, we still laugh about it every now and then. Antigua was so cheap, unless you considered how much the plane tickets cost. And then when you saw, uh, we could go there, but then we just wouldn't be able to get back, which maybe would have been cool in one sense or another. But, uh, you know, you think about it, and it's just, it doesn't work. And, and so what does this mean for us then? We're going to see some of these answers in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 through 10. Remember, we are in one thought of the Apostle Paul. Okay, this thought start, started in verse 3 and it's going to keep going. This is a sentence and we are in a part of his sentence with a part of his thought uh, and by the Holy Spirit there is much to see here. The main point uh, that I think is going to help us to begin to grab some of these things and put them together is that quite simply redemption reveals God. It seems so straightforward and yet there is much encouragement and application to be found there. Redemption reveals God. Let's pray and then we will read God's word. Heavenly Father, God, will you bless the reading of your word? Uh, not by the words of my mouth uh, can uh, souls be saved, but by the working of your spirit through your word can souls be saved. So God, would you bless this most important moment of our worship, the reading of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Thanks be to God. Now, I mentioned to you that you would do well to have the scriptures opened this morning. And it's because usually I like the breakup of the verses. Typically, if you've got a verse, I'm going to say it's in a verse, right? Uh, not today. And so if you have the word open, it's going to be a little bit easier for you to see where our points begin and where they end. There's four of them as we think about redemption revealing God and what that means uh, for our encouragement, for our positive movement in life now. Let me just tell you the points and then we'll start with the first, which is the first half of verse 7. Number one, redemption reveals God's serious take on sin. Number two, redemption reveals God's grace bank and his spending habits. Number three, redemption reveals God's will to all Christians. And number four, Redemption reveals God's purpose and God's plan. Number one then, which is the first part of verse seven. Redemption reveals God's serious take on sin. This is where this point is coming from as we're looking to see redemption revealing God. Uh, the first part of verse seven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Uh, God takes sin seriously. And uh, it's not, this uh, truth doesn't start in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Nor does it start uh, at the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus on the cross. Nor does it start when Jesus took the cup and said, this is my blood, right? Uh, it's not then. It's actually all the way back in the beginning. When God killed an animal to clothe Adam and Eve after they had sinned. When God told Noah to get that ship made because there was a deluge coming. And what did Noah do right after they landed on dry land? But sacrifice an animal. This is before the law was given. And yet Noah knew something deep down inside that we all do. Uh, this is Abraham, as God said, uh, uh, split the animals in half, that I might reveal myself to you. Don't you think there might have been a little blood? This uh, is the sign of circumcision. Don't you think there might have been a little blood? Uh, this is the giving of the law and the entirety of the sacrificial system that you might say began with the Passover. Where what did God command through Moses? But a slaying of a lamb and blood on the doorpost. Why? That he might pass over those who were willing to believe the word of God in that moment. There was no super magical power in lamb's blood that deterred the angel that night. It was the belief of the people shown in the sign of Passover. 
that the angel would pass over the house. You see the opposite in Pharaoh's house and what happened next. And yet even Pharaoh's tragedy reveals the good news, does it not? A firstborn's death. But we're not there yet because God then gives a sacrificial code where day by day by day gallons upon gallons of blood is spilled from, from animals, from sheep and cattle, from birds. Is this a horror movie? What is this? There is one verse that is tucked deep into one of y'all's most favorite books of the Bible. Leviticus. I know that y'all love it, and I know that whenever you come to it in your daily, uh, uh, excuse me, yearly reading plans, that that's where you are enlivened, and your strong desire is to finish your annual reading of God's Word, because Leviticus is such wonderful reading material at the bedside, right? It can be a little heavier, right? A little drier, but there is one verse tucked right in the middle. Uh, one really section where God is going into this, uh, this explanation. He says, don't drink blood. You say, okay, I got that. I've never really had that desire. Some people do. Not my thing, right? But he, he explains it. Don't drink blood because the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. Sacrifices upon sacrifices upon sacrifices can never do because we have to keep on coming back because the reality is for God's people, we begin to see that the blood of goats and lambs, it's just not enough because we keep sinning. We are weak and we are sinful and we are needy and we need a cleansing that goes beyond this blood. And so what does God do? In him we have redemption through his blood. Whose blood? Jesus's. That is God who took on flesh that he might shed his own blood for you and for me. That's the good news. That God would make it possible for him to shed blood. Why? For the forgiveness of our trespasses. Blood sacrifice in the Old Testament was never going to be enough, but was only a shadow, a portend, a revelation pointing straight unto the Lord Jesus, which is what now Paul is doing from the other side. Look and see. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Redemption reveals God's serious take on sin because this is very good news, but we must not overlook that God had to kill, uh, or rather that God would put his own wrath on his son that was killed. That God himself would die. This is most serious. Well beyond anything that even our own minds could fully grasp. And yet we know that it's very serious. But let's go on. Because redemption does not only reveal this serious take, which we'll come back to. Redemption also reveals God's grace bank. And God's spending habits from his bank. I know this is silly terminology, but it really gets us to the heart of the second part of verse 7. 
into the first part of verse 8. Let me read it for you so you know where we're at. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. God, as we see the good news being revealed, as we see redemption, uh, is revealing himself. And he's revealing a lot of different things. He is revealing his justice. Because remember, God has a serious take on sin. There had to be justice meted out. Uh, you know, um, uh, people sometimes try to say that uh, God uh, forgets our sin in like a way where it's like, oh, whoopsie, no big deal, I'll forget it. No! God poured out wrath on Jesus. That's how he forgets our sins is because they're paid for and so that he doesn't need to keep account of them anymore. It's, it's paid for. It's a receipt that can be, as it were, thrown away. We need to be very careful with that terminology, but I think you get what I mean. Uh, uh, our family, uh, if we're going to pay a bill and it's online or something, we'll write paid, uh, you know, January 30th, right? One thirty, And then after a while, once we see that it's paid, we chuck it, right? It's just a piece of paper. We don't need it anymore. It's paid. It's over. It's already done. That, that's the reality of what forgetting sins looks like. But, but there's a cost. That's, that's justice, though. God reveals uh, his plan and purpose, which we'll get to later, which is mysterious, and yet that mystery is revealed. But, but there's something in between. There, there's something astounding. There's this love thing, this mercy thing, because for every Christian that takes seriously the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus on their behalf, surely has asked the question, why? Why would God die for me? That doesn't make sense. I'm not a very good person. Right? It just doesn't make sense. And this is where we begin to see that God is rich in grace. And remember, an easy definition for grace is, uh, is unmerited love or unmerited gifts or uh, anything essentially that is unmerited. In other words, you did nothing for it and yet you are getting something. Grace. And God is, is rich in grace according to the riches of his grace. And so in other words, uh, his grace bank is full. It is enormous piled up more than any of the riches of the world in comparison. Beyond anything we can imagine, God in his riches then extends. Because don't you see here his spending habits? Because God not only has riches of grace, he lavishes them, that richness upon us. He, he freely spends his grace. He, he really gives it. For us, this can be difficult. Even the greatest philanthropists, for instance, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, who is it? The, the Bill Gates of the world, right? If you look up how much Bill Gates gives, it would, it would really blow your mind. Uh, I mean, it would be absurd for you to see some of the numbers, but then you look at his net worth and you say, oh, well, if you divide it by his net worth, 
what are we really talking about here? <laughs> it's not, it, it's just in comparison, even the greatest human, right? Not to say it's Bill, <laughs> uh, but even the greatest human, as we think about this philanthropy, right? And what it means for us to freely give, it doesn't quite match God's grace bank and God's spending habits as there is nothing in return that we could give. And so all we do is fall to our knees and praise and worship him, which when you think about it, was what we should have been doing all along, so it's not even payment. How could we pay something that was already expected? It's not something more. God is getting us back to where we should have been all along, and he's doing it with his riches, which he is freely offering. Uh, uh, I was recently in a conversation. Uh, I mention these guys quite often. Uh, my missionary best friend and my church planting best friend and the pastor best friend and the jokes that ensue afterwards, right? But we have serious conversations and they are deep. And one of the questions that we were asking is, what in the world makes the ARP distinct in the world right now? Who cares if we are a member of an ARP church? Centennial ARP. Who cares? That was the question that was posed. And I thought about that for so long because I thought, well, is it our Scots heritage? I said, no. That's so weird. Why would I say that? You know, that doesn't make sense. Well, maybe, maybe it's our size. I like our size. I said, well... Small or big, you know, I don't know. That's also kind of weird. Maybe it's just because daddy was. Daddy was at the church, so now I'm at the church. Oh, that can't be right. What, what is it for our denomination? I'll tell you. It's this. It's this. Here's a history lesson that you should never forget if you are a member of an ARP church or thinking about it. God freely offers the good news of Jesus. No strings attached. He lavishes grace and he does it from his bank, from his love, from his mercy, from himself. That's why our denomination, among a few other things, was founded in the first place. That's it. That's the distinctive and it's the only one. And guess what? You can take that to the bank. Why are you an ARP? I don't know. But this is why we are distinct. It's because we focus on the free offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you don't, do. Because that is what the word reveals to us here. But there's more. Thirdly, redemption reveals God's will to all Christians. This is the second part of verse 8 into the first part of verse 9. Let me read the point again and then I'll read the, ver uh, the parts of the verses so you can see where we are. Redemption reveals God's will to all Christians uh, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. In other words, what was hidden is now made known. And, and we don't need to think about this as like a mystery, like a, 
whodunit, right? Like if you read like a good mystery novel. I am a massive consumer of fiction literature. And yes, I have probably read any mystery novel that you're going to ask about. I like reading and I like stuff like that. Not recently. Uh, certain little munchkins have gotten in the way of my reading habits. Uh, uh, that kind of reading at least. And yet, uh, as we think about uh, the mystery that we see in the Bible, uh, this word is not like, um, who could it be? You know, not even God knows, or when's the time going to be? It's more like uh, uh, this is within God. God knows this all the way through, and now he is showing it to you. And, and that is what happens as the Lord works his work, as, as we begin to see a redemption, right? That's the good news of Jesus, our first point, where God's taking sin seriously. As he then extends this from his grace bank, he's now spending his grace, as it were, on us. That's the second point, the fact that God is, uh, is giving us that redemption. He's giving us that salvation. And, and, and now he's showing us it's not goats. It's not lambs. It's not commandments. It's, you can't make it. The children said it, right? And the children are wiser than we are. Because we try to save ourselves every single day of our lives with the actions that we do. Don't deny it. We do it. And we fight against it. Because the truth of the scripture is as, it's just as the children said. Can we get there on our own? Can we get there at all? No. Jesus, 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 save me. And, and so it's in this moment where, where God, as it were, uh, uh, to quote a, a great um, uh, pastor and theologian, his name is Sinclair Ferguson, it's been stuck in my mind since I read it, and I can't get rid of it. Uh, he spoke of the all of Scripture as God, uh, through his people and in time, crafting and creating uh, uh, this wonderful and beautiful uh, uh, a statue and sculpture, this this work of art that, that you can tell something's there, but, but it's behind all of these rafters and all of this wood. Because if you've ever seen a work, you know, for instance, a building being erected, there's all kinds of wood and, and there's all kinds of uh, things that are there for the workers to work in and the windows aren't all the way in. Uh, this happened to me while I was working at First Pres right down the road and the law building for, the, uh, for USC was being built. You know, right there on Bull and whatever it is. Uh, it, it was being being erected up and I was like is this a parking garage or like what is this? I couldn't really tell and then all of a sudden it was like overnight you could see it you know and I thought whoa this thing looks cool I mean it looked really or maybe that's the medical and is it law or medical it's law and and you know maybe y'all know that from other places you know where you you're like man what what is that going to be you know and usually of course you're like oh you know, it's another Arby's or something. You know, it's like some fast food joint or something. But you're like, oh, that's what it is. I see it now. You know, a car wash or whatever. You know, it's like, I just couldn't have seen it, right? You get that in the Old Testament as you begin to, you see these parts and pieces and you say, I know that this is, I see the truth. I see this reality coming. And then it's like overnight as Jesus comes onto the scene, all of those things drop and perfection is before you. Dr. Ferguson speaks of the 
revealing of the, of the mystery, of, of the giving of wisdom and, and of insight. He likens it to this reality as we begin to see God's will. And, and this bleeds over. What This hidden being made known, this wisdom and insight, this bleeds into our fourth point, which is the second part of verse 9 into verse 10. Redemption reveals God's purpose and plan. God's will is his purpose. God's purpose is his plan. And the plan has always been redemption of his people. We see that here in the second part of verse 9, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is a Jesus thing. Uh, I almost didn't stick that in to my mind and brain and prayer as I prepared for this proclamation of the word from this part of the word. But I put a note here to not forget it. Because sometimes we just need to be reminded that this whole thing, God's Re revealing of redemption, the fact that redemption reveals God, that all of this, it's a Jesus thing. And it sounded so obvious to me, which is why I almost didn't stick it in. But then I thought to myself, I need this reminder. And maybe y'all do too. This is a Jesus thing. From the beginning, before time existed, we saw earlier in the letter, God had a plan, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, Jesus. They had this plan, and this plan was that they would move through and begin to reveal themselves, not only in justice, but also in love, not only in wrath, but also in mercy, and that all of this would bear out in the Son, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. No one can come to the Father except through me. I'm sending you the Comforter. It's better if I go because the Comforter is coming and he's going to empower you. And that power is going to be that, that he resides in you. And as he resides in you, if we were to peek into the next part of Ephesians, we'll see that that residing in you moment connects us. And as we are connected, we are comforted. And as we are comforted, we are upheld. And as we are are upheld in the storms of this world and the suffering and trials and tribulations and deaths. We are not swept away. But we stand. One faith. One baptism. One church. One Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus. It's a Jesus thing. And the other part then, as we think about God's will and God's purpose and God's plan, is when? Did this happen already? Or are we still waiting? Didn't you see it? He's sending Jesus. He uses the formal language. It'd be like me saying like, yes, my king. That's what Christ means. It's not Jesus' last name. It's his title. The king, the Messiah, the anointed one. Yes, my king. He sends capital K king as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. When is this? Is it later or is it now? You know, it's funny. We were talking about this on Wednesday night in 2 Thessalonians. When is it? What would you say? In your heart. Has this already happened? 
or are we waiting? Yeah, it's sort of a trick question. You could be right either way, right? I'm not trying to be crazy. But we mustn't think about this only being later. That's absurd. Because the Lord Jesus has come. The Lord Jesus has done a work. And as Jesus does a work on the cross, God really meted out all of his wrath on Jesus in the moment. That means for your sins now and since you were born and all the way up until you die. How can that happen? He's God. That's how. And he did it all in that moment. The fullness of time had come for God to do this work to extend basically all of his grace funds in one fell swoop. And God is not a betting God. God took the house. Maybe if you wanted to say it that way. Because God owns the house. It's not a bet if you know it's sure. And he saved his people. His purpose, his plan, his will is that now in the moment we would be encouraged in the reality that, that yes, this has happened. It, it was a point in time and yet Billy died last night. You know? I know several of y'all who have severe emotional turmoil and who almost didn't get out of bed this morning. The physical pain. I know y'all that have the physical pain too. It's just... It's not all the way there yet, is it? And so we hope. Because there is a moment where all those things will pass away. Where we will see in full reality before us heaven and earth united. We have hope and strength and power, and if I might plug the series, encouragement now. But we're going somewhere, and that somewhere is not here. No, I wouldn't want to live here. But the Word tells us that we don't live here. We're sojourners here, like Abraham before us. Like those Christians that Peter wrote to. We don't live here. Why would you want to? It's not a good place. But there's a place that's better. There's a heavenly place. And there will be a uniting of heaven and earth. And it's coming. Rest assured of that. It's the hope that we hold in the Lord. Let me quickly apply before we close in prayer. Number one, simple question. Do you take sin seriously? Before you say yes, when's the last time you thought about your sin? Don't lie in church, because that would show that you actually don't take sin seriously, right? It's like, you're, you're stuck now. I got you. It's tricky, right? Do you take sin seriously? Our gut reaction as Christians is to say absolutely yes. But when is the last time we have ever thought about our sin? You can write. I can write for you. It wouldn't be pretty. The sins that I do battle with on a day-to-day -day basis... I can physically write it. And I would ask you the question, can you write your sins 
and the battles that you're winning and the battles that you're losing and the grace that you're crying out for. It's an important aspect of the Christian life. Number two, what is in your spiritual bank? Uh, God created us after his own image. God uh, being perfect, being uh, astoundingly uh, gigantic to the point that we can't fully comprehend his own reality of who he is. And yet, he has given us these things that are like him as he's made us in his own image. And one of those is that we have a spiritual tank. We do have a bank. And we give out of that bank. Jesus used a different illustration. He used fruit. What's your fruit? And I'm not talking about apples or pears. I'm talking about that spiritual fruit. Whether it's sin or whether it's righteousness. What are you giving on a day-to-day -day basis? What is in your spiritual bank? God is rich in grace. So grace is lavished. But what do you lavish on others? And is it pleasing unto the Lord or not? And then thirdly, do you care to see and pursue God? Because God in his, uh, in his purpose and his plan and his will is to give us wisdom and insight. Another way that I could say this is that if you believe, you also have the capacity to know. And if you have the capacity to know, then you will want to know more about your God. Do you care to see and pursue God? Or are you pursuing the world? This is easy. Uh, though I would encourage you not to do this unless you're ready to be convicted. Uh, one of the first tasks I had as an associate pastor at Grace Prez was from the senior pastor. His name is Brandon Barrett. And he said, I want you to write down uh, on a timetable, uh, this is a little too extreme for y'all, but 15 by 15 minute increments, what you do every day. Do it for seven days. Maybe an hour might be easier for y'all. Uh, I, I had trouble with the 15-minute thing. That was extreme. But the point he was getting across, I think you get it, right? Is you start to see, whoa, this is crazy. And then color-code it if you're that kind of person. Color-code it to see how much time the Lord is getting, how much time you're getting, how much time the world is getting. And what does that mean? It's an interesting exercise. It doesn't give you all the answers. It's just food for thought. To close, though, because that's enough for today. <laughs> I wish that people would stop using the term Christian and Christianity. And I wish that we would go back to the way. I, I'm okay with Christianity. That's fine. But we are on the way. This place is not the ending place. This sanctuary is not the ending place. Columbia is not the ending place. We, we are on the way. And I would encourage you, Christians, to be on the way. Redemption reveals your God. And time, time is short. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we do come to you so thankful that in your bank is grace and that you have spent your grace on us through your son, Jesus. 
what riches of mercy and love. God, help us to never look away from these things. Help us to see you more clearly and to hold you more dearly. In Jesus' name, amen.